Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. We're going to look at 2 Peter, kind of a, not a text, I think that's that often, uh, preached on, but I, I, it's something I was thinking about, especially coming into the new year uh, with this uh, new, uh, new year, new, a new time, a new, you know, things changing, things, the turnover of the year, and I got thinking about the new and the old and, and how, things, how things move forward, and so I wanted to, to share a little bit from Second Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, reading verses 11 through 13. Uh, before we read that, would you bow with me in prayer? Father in heaven, it's in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to make all things new and who will come again to truly make all things new It's in his name that we pray and seek your presence, the presence of of that spirit of Jesus to guide our thoughts, to open our minds to to hear your word and to apply it into our lives. So guide our time this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Peter chapter 3, he's just been going through a lot about the coming change that's happening, the, the earth being, the present existence being destroyed and melted, and he uses all these vivid terms, and then the, the, new, the new heavens and new earth. And so we pick it up uh, there uh, with all that's happening, he says in verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I don't do much tech, but my boys came to me and said, Dad, there's this great new cell phone deal on. And you're going to get more data than you ever had. The price is cheaper. It's a great deal. And you get a new phone thrown in on the deal. You come with us. Okay, we're all going. So we headed down to the store, you know, the cell phone store. And, and sure enough, uh, it was, they saved me money. I got to give, give them credit. Okay, they did. They saved me a, a, a fair bit of money. And, and I got a better deal. You know, so. And I got a new phone. So I upgraded. I upgraded from uh, 
the iPhone model 10 or whatever it is, to, I didn't get the latest, but it's the 13, model 13. It's pretty new. But it was and a brand new phone. So I said, Dad, you get a new phone. Oh, got a new phone. So I got this new phone. And so I did all the, you know, getting rid of the new phone set up. And okay, this is cool. A few days later, my son came and one of the, he got the same deal and he said, Dad, what do you think of the new phone? And I said, I can't tell much difference, <laughs> to be honest. And he said, I know, me too. <laughs> I, I said, you know, the battery life's a little longer. It's, yeah, okay, it's a newer phone. And, and I got, I think the vibrate works better, okay? I used to miss calls. Now it's like, mm, call, call. I got a call coming in. But other than that, I can't tell much difference, okay? Maybe the screen's better, but I got 60-plus-year-old eyes. You know, I don't notice these things. It was an upgrade, but eh. Okay, it's, it's okay. Now, I, I give that illustration because sometimes I feel like in these times, theologically, the way people deal with when they think about the new heavens and the new earth, there's come to be so much stress on the continuity between the present earth and the earth that's to come, and there's, it's just, that it almost seems to me it's, it's approached almost as it's like, and maybe you haven't heard as much about this, but I think it's pretty common. It's almost just like it's, eh, it's an upgrade. It's, it's still the earth. It's just an, kind of an upgrade. And it's, I, I don't know, for me it's kind of a letdown because when I read the scriptures, the new heavens and the new earth are really new. <laughs> this is not just a mere upgrade, friends. And so that's what I want to reflect on with you uh, this morning as we look at this text. Now, um, there's a, as I said, there's a lot of here about the coming day of the Lord and the reckoning that's involved in all of that. And of course, the emphasis is on on, on the, 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 there's the questions. The scoffers are questioning, saying, well, you say Jesus is coming back again, but what's taking him so long, right? What's, you know, what a bunch of nonsense. What are you waiting for? He's not coming again, and all this kind of, uh, of ridicule sometimes that people are saying. What's taking him so long? And, and so Peter has to go into this explanation, and he, and he uses, refers back to, say, texts like, like, uh, 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 Psalm, uh, Psalm 90, and, and, and with a, a, day, a day for the Lord is like a thousand years. And God is being patient, he says. God is being patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. So God in his mercy is, is waiting. But don't be fooled. He says, it's coming. Don't let down your guard. He is coming again. There is coming a new creation, and it's, and it's huge. And he uses scriptural, sort of even referring back to the Old Testament, uh, he talks about, well, and, and as well as it's a common reference. In, in this new heavens and new earth, you, if you remember from uh, Revelation, 
At the very end, Revelation 21, again, the, John writes, as the writer of Revelation, that there was a, I saw the new heavens and the new earth and, and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And then as he caps that off, he says, the one sitting on the throne says, behold, I am making everything new. I'm making it all new. And of course, that's a reference back to a text in the Old Testament from Isaiah 65. I think we have a slide for that one. Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 18, where the writer, the prophet says, where the Lord says through the prophet, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. This is the new heavens and the new earth that's been promised since the Old Testament. And now it's being fulfilled and it's going to be fulfilled in the coming uh, transformation of everything. Now, as I said, in, in the modern focus has been to stress, and, and it's partly a good corrective. There has been a corrective. Pendulums always swing, right? And they, they've been trying to get away, get us away from this picture of heaven as us, as just, you know, spirits floating on the clouds, playing harps singing praise songs all the time, perpetually. You know, that kind of a picture. And they're saying, no, it's going to be an, an embodied existence. And I agree, that's true. But it's going to be new bodies. <laughs> and it's still going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And I think the pendulum has swung too far the other way at times in theological circles, where people have become so focused on stressing the continuity with what we know today, and they've forgotten that it is going to be radically new, friends. Radically new. And, I, and I, my hunch is that they're, we're doing this more and more because I hear it more and more in Places like our relatively comfortable, prosperous, Western developed centers. I mean, who wouldn't want more of just, just a little bit better, an upgrade? We've got it pretty good, right? Just, just, just improve it a little bit and we'll be, we'll be good to go. I used to... Uh, I recall when I lived in Papua New Guinea back in the 1980s. And for, I was there for five years. For three of those years, I lived alone up in a little village. And uh, scarily, I was sort of the doctor in that village. And uh, I'm not a doctor. My favorite textbook was Where There Is No Doctor. There really is a book by that name and by that title. And um, I used it a lot because I, I was the one treating people. As I said, that's really scary. And, and, uh, but because there was no other way. And I, but I'll tell you something. In that, that village, in that, that area, and throughout much of Papua New Guinea, especially at that time, 
death was close. It was always close. And people died, not just older people. Of course, I mean, the human mortality rate is still 100%. Let's not get over that. Forget that. But, but I mean, this is, it was so common that elderly people, but infants, children, young adults, middle-aged people, I mean, malaria and other illnesses sweeping through, and, and death was just prevalent. And so I sat in wakes, all night wakes, often, because there was so much sickness. And for people like that, you tell them heaven is just going to be, you know, kind of more of the same, just an upgrade. That isn't going to pull it. Do it for them, okay? Because they wanted real change. They wanted things to be radically new. I, I think of the African-American spirituals. The slaves. What did they long for? Swing low, sweet chariot. <laughs> Coming for to carry me home. I, I, I want to cross over the Jordan. I want to go to a place that is radically new and better and free and just. They longed for something radically different. And they prayed for it. They sang about it. I walked through down to my workplace. I walk or I cycle much of the time uh, down to uh, the downtown where the center is there where I mostly work. And I cross, I pass through the downtown east side of Vancouver. And I, I, I know that there's a lot of people in there living down in that area who do not want a little upgrade. Sort of more of the same. They want something radically new. And that's what Peter promises. That's what God promises and that Peter tells us about. That there's going to be this future, this coming. Now the question comes up then though, does that promise of the future that we look forward to as Christians, does it in some ways, because this has been the accusation, right? Does it blur us to what we're supposed to do in the present? If you're just looking about the future all the time, why not? What about living in the present? Of course, this was the, the big accusation of Karl Marx, right? And, and communism. He said, religion is, well, it's the opiate of the people. It's bunk because, <laughs> it's funny, the other day I was, I was cycling back from work a few days ago, and, and this guy came by, and he was cycling the other day, other way, we meet all kinds down there, but it was, he was cycling the other way, and all he said was, he kept shouting out, communism is good. Communism is good. Christianity is stupid. Communism is good. Oh, my goodness. If only you knew. But that was Marx's big thing. Communism, the problem with religion, and particularly Christianity, is that they keep people so focused on what's to come that they become uh, passive <laughs> about making change in the present. 
Oh, it'll get better in the end, so don't bother now. And that's why he called it the opiate of the people, right? It keeps them asleep. It keeps them satisfied with what the present is rather than rising up and, and, and calling for real revolution, real change. Well, that is the, the typical critique. The problem is I think it misses the point altogether because the reality is having future hope actually grounds and enables and promotes and even inspires present action. Think of those African-American spirituals. Uh, I was listening to recently a a podcast about uh, Frederick Douglass, the great American abolitionist. He was an African-American mid-19th century during the slave time and Civil War and all that, uh, he was an African-American who escaped from the South, went to the North, became free, and then became a great eloquent spokesman and writer uh, against, uh, against slavery. But he explained at one point in a, in a speech particularly how those, those songs, those spirituals that his people were singing Though they were, on the one hand, a call towards crossing the Jordan, getting to the other side, and and it was a clear reference in one sense to death, crossing over into the afterlife. But he said they also had another meaning implicit in them. Because not only did the crossing the Jordan refer to death, but he said it also refers to the Mason-Dixon line between North and South. And there was hidden sort of in that, those songs, this longing to get across that line and get into freedom. He, he actually referred to it as masking. It actually masked partly in those songs what also they wanted to, to, to achieve. Uh, he quotes from one song. It goes like this, quote, I thought I heard them say there are lions in the way. I don't expect to stay much longer here. Run to Jesus. Shun the danger. I don't expect to stay much longer here. Close quote. Now, if you listen to that, you can hear in that, right? There's not just the longing, yes, to go to the afterlife, but there's also this longing, run, I don't expect to stay much longer here. I want to get to freedom also now. And because they had a vision for the the future, hope of a real full freedom, they could also then act on that now, pray for it, desire it earnestly, and work towards bringing that kind of a change even here and now. And I would argue we must have a future hope and a vision for that. We must have it because only that will sustain us for the present and guide us, give meaning to our lives. It's like when you have a building project. What do they do? They often build these models, right? So you can see what's coming 
They have architectural drawings so the developers know what they're, the builders know what they're supposed to build because, oh yeah, this is what it's going to look like. Right now, downtown at our center, it is a mess around our place because they're doing a big development project on the roads. And for, like earlier this week, we had to get our van out and park it way around to the backside. They have a little extra parking lot now because they completely tore up. We could hardly get into our center. Doesn't make it very conducive for seafarers right now, I have to say. Because it's an effort to get to our place. It's an absolute mess. They've patched it up a little bit, yeah, but they still got a lot more to do. So it's going to take some more weeks, even months probably. And it's, it's painful right now. But we know what's coming. Because when they finish, now that road, instead of us having to go all the way back into town all the time and go through Clark Drive and get into the port, the road's going to go right through. And it is going to make our, uh, our trips out to the ships for much of what we do so much easier. And it's going to make it so much easier for the seafarers to get to our center. So we have to keep our eyes on that future because otherwise it'd be really depressing working at our place right now. It's a mess. But we know what's coming. You must have a future vision of what's to come. Now, I'm going to make a little plug here. Okay, This is a little bit of an aside, but it does apply. And this is, has to do, this is one of our, my wife especially, pet peeves. It's how we look at Holy Communion. Because what do we tend to focus on when we focus on Holy Communion? It's a remembrance, right? We look back to what Jesus did. The problem is, too many, especially in our evangelical tradition and, and sort of more uh, ind independent churches, we tend to almost leave it there. Yes, Jesus did that. Some of us make it a little bit further and we go, oh yes, it's also a communion right now with Jesus. He is present with us. So we're in communion with him now. But so often, churches, when we celebrate Holy Communion, we forget that it's also the promise that we celebrate Holy Communion until he comes again. It also has this incredible future focus and vision and hope. And unless we have all three of those ideas, the the remembrance, the present communion, and the hope of the future, we've, we've missed it. It's truncated. As the liturgy always says, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ is coming again. Don't forget that when you celebrate Holy Communion. Until he comes again. On the other hand, in this text, we need to remember that what we're looking forward to is God's day, the day of God. 
is, as, is how the text puts it. The day of the Lord. You're looking for a new heavens and a new earth, but it's, it's the coming, in verse 12, as you look forward to the day of God. Now, that is a reference clearly back to the Old Testament, the day of the Lord, when God's going to make all things new. And there's this sense in which it's already happened in Jesus Christ, but again, there's that, that so much more uh, yet to come. But it's the day of the Lord. It's God's work. God is the one who does this work and makes everything new. It's as uh, verse 13, if you look at verse 13 in your, in your text, it says, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Righteousness is a big theme for Peter, holy living. Where righteousness, and he uses this term, dwells, where it sets up permanent residence. And it's in the Greek, it's clearly he's doing a bit of a word play here because earlier on, especially in 1 Peter, he talks about how he addresses his people, do you remember, as exiles and strangers or foreigners, temporary residents. And in the Greek, here, now, it's permanent residence. It, it's a clear connection, but, but a wordplay in the Greek. Now, he says, righteousness dwells. It sets up its residence right here. This is the permanent thing. This is the everlasting kingdom that we've been promised for so long. Yet even our righteousness... It's all God's work, right? It's the day of God. This is what the Lord is working. You think of uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, where it talks about, it, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and literally it just says, new creation, new creation. There's no verb. Anyone is in Christ. This is, this is the promise. This is what God is doing right now and for the future. But it's God's work happening and it's all what he is doing. Um, I say that because moderns tend to think, especially in our uh, temp right now, our present time of really what I would call uh, optimistic liberalism, they tend to think we can fix it. We can do it. I, was, I happened to hear on the radio, I was listening to the radio as I was driving yesterday to some of the ships and uh, Michael Jackson's old song, The Man in the Mirror, you know. I'm looking at the man in the mirror. Well, you got to make the change. You just got to make the change yourself and then it's all going to work out. And I say, that's not our hope. God does the recreating. God makes things new. This is the day of the Lord. It's his promise. He is our hope. Um, seafarers know this, okay? I run into seafarers, especially now. It's winter. When, when they cross, especially that North Pacific. I was on a ship the other day, and, and they were heading from here, and they're going to Turkey next. 
I said, well, are you going to go through Panama? Panama Canal? Because that's generally this, a bit shorter of a route. And he said, well, we're not sure yet. We're waiting for the company to decide because we may go the other way and go Singapore, straight to Malacca, Indian Ocean, and up through Gulf of Aden and the Red Sea and Suez Canal, and then up. So we may go that way. It's a little bit longer, but, you know, they're kind of weighing it. And I said, I said, which would you rather do? He said, oh, Panama. He said, because that North Pacific this time of year, oh. He said, it's nasty. All we're doing is trying to dodge low-pressure systems and fighting the waves. And I, the seafarers, I tell you, when they get out on those seas and they're all alone, you realize how fragile life is and how dependent we are. And I, I, you know, they always say there's no atheists in foxholes. There aren't, aren't, I run into some, but there aren't that many atheists among seafarers. Even if they're not Christians, they have some sense of there's something bigger because we are really dependent beings. I, I was listening to the other day, my wife and I watched because last week was uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day. So we watched the new Ken Burns documentary. It's on PBS um, KCTS down in Seattle, and there's a new documentary by came out by Ken Burns last fall entitled The U.S. and the Holocaust. Very well done. But at one point I was struck because this woman shares, she's a survivor, she was a little girl, and she said how when they were, they were Jewish and they were brought to the, through the, on the train, and then they came to the camp, and then they separated everybody men and women and the children and all that. And so she said her father came to her and said, God will watch over you. And she said, I was amazed because my dad, our family, was not religious. But at that point, we all knew our only hope was God will watch over you. God makes the changes. God transforms. But then what happens in this text is striking, isn't it? Because in spite of that, that this is God's day, God is bringing in the new creation. He says, and he starts right at the beginning, in light of all this, what kind of people ought you to be? You have a role, too, in a sense. In fact, that term, what manner, what kind of people, in the Greek, that term has this pretty positive, generally, almost always, not always, but almost always, a really strongly positive sense. For example, when Jesus uh, in Matthew 8, when he calms the storm, remember the story? The wind and the waves. The disciples is, were told, oh, were amazed, and they said, what kind of man is this? That even the, the winds and the sea obey him. Or 1 John chapter 3, when John says, behold what manner of love the Father has shared, shared, given to us 
that we should be called the children of God. And so here, listen to this now. In light of all that's coming, what kind of people ought you to be as you live holy, godly lives? Bearing witness in that sense to, to the change that God is already working in you and so much more, so much more to come. And then he says something that's absolutely amazing. Reading on, he says, what kind of persons ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Isn't that remarkable? You hasten, you speed. Somehow, in our living, holy, and godly lives, we actually speed, hasten the day of the Lord, the coming of the kingdom of God. That's a remarkable responsibility placed upon us. We speed the day of God's coming. And what else? What's our primary posture in all of this? And it comes up several times in the text. Beginning already, if you just read through it again, it, verse 12, as you look forward. The Greek literally says it, it, it means to wait but waiting expectantly. As you look ahead, you keep your eyes. You look forward. Notice how it says that in verse 12. As you look forward to the day of God at speed, it's coming. And then verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth. And then if we had read on, verse 14 actually says, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, Three times in those few verses. Look forward, look forward, look forward. Look, wait expectantly. That's the posture as we live lives, holy and godly lives here and now. Always keeping our eyes on the vision of what's to come. Now, I was thinking about that in terms of my iPhone. You know, eh, upgrade. Ah, it's okay. I'm not complaining, but upgrade. But just imagine, just imagine if we could bring someone back from centuries ago, four or five hundred years ago, bring them here, and I could show them my iPhone. And I could do a FaceTime call with my mother down in Linden. Can you imagine what they would say? Oh my goodness. What? They would be absolutely astounded, right? Now I want you to think about that because in the light of scriptures, the new heavens and the new earth are going to be just eons bigger 
the change in even that. What we look forward to is so new, still we have existence, still we have embodied existence, new bodies, but it's going to be so radically new, friends. Keep looking forward in hope for the new. Let's pray. Father, in heaven, thank you. Thank you that we have this incredible promise. The promise that you are making all things new and you will make things truly, truly new in an existence where righteousness totally inhabits that, that place, that time. Lord, thank you that we have that promise and that that hope, that promise can, can inspire us for how to live right here and now. Keep that vision alive in our lives, in our own thoughts and minds as we press on, always looking forward to your coming, Lord Jesus. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.